April 11th. And as we turn our attention to the New Testament, our reading today will be in the book of Luke, chapter 14, verses 7 through 35. Luke 14, verses 7 through 35. We'll learn that salvation is a feast, not a funeral. And God wants His house filled. As His servants, we have the privilege to tell the world, Come, for all things are now ready. That is inherent in the gospel. Now, even if some reject the invitation, you just keep on sharing it. You keep on telling it. See, those who think that they are the least worthy are the ones He wants to have at His feast. You know, it's easy to be part of the crowd and follow a popular Jesus. We'll find that out as we look into verses 25 through 35. But that's not true discipleship. He calls you and me away from the crowd to take up our cross and follow Him. When it comes to winning the lost, God wants His house filled because it's a, a big party. But when it comes to discipleship, Christ thins out the ranks and wants only those who will die to self and live for Him. And with that, let's begin our reading today in the New Testament. April 11th, Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 35. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit near the head of the table, He gave them this advice. If you are invited to a wedding feast, don't always head for the best seat. What if someone more respected than you has also been invited? The host will say, Let this person sit here instead. Then you will be embarrassed and will have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Do this instead. Sit at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, Friend, we have a better place than this for you. Then you will be honored in front of all the other guests. For the proud will be humbled, but the humble will be honored. Then he turned to his host. When you put on a luncheon or a dinner, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors, for they will repay you by inviting you back. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the godly, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, What a privilege it would be to have a share in the kingdom of God! Jesus replied with this illustration, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When all was ready, he sent his servant around to notify the guests that it was time for them to come but they all began making excuses. One said he had just bought a field and wanted to inspect it, so he asked to be excused. Another said he had just bought five pair of oxen and wanted to try them out. Another had just been married, so he said he couldn't come. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was angry and said, "'Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the city,' and invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes, and behind the hedges, 
and urge anyone you find to come, so that the house will be full. For none of those I invited first will get even the smallest taste of what I had prepared for them. Great crowds were following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my follower, you must love me more than your own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, more than your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple, and you cannot be my disciple if you do not carry your own cross and follow me. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first getting estimates and then checking to see if there is enough money to pay the bills? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of funds. And then how everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there's the person who started that building and ran out of money before it was finished. Or what king would ever dream of going to war without first sitting down with his counselors and discussing whether his army of 10,000 is strong enough to defeat the 20,000 soldiers who are marching against him. If he is not able, then while the enemy is still far away, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace. So no one can become my disciple without giving up everything for me. Salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how do you make it salty again? Flavorless salt is good neither for the soil nor for fertilizer. It is thrown away. Anyone who is willing to hear should listen and understand. And then if you can see it, here's the second step and the one that few people want to make. The second step is now that we've seen it, now to own it. To own it. And this is so counterintuitive in our culture. Here's what I mean by own it. Your sin is not something external to you. You don't sometimes lie. You're a liar. Do you hear the difference in that, those sentences? So what we like to do is we like to distance ourselves from what we actually are. Right? I, I'm not a liar. I just lie sometimes. I'm not a reviler. I'm not a sexual deviant. These are just things I struggle with. No, it's something you are. And to own it is the gateway to joy. Now, let me try to explain that biblically. One of the things the Apostle Paul does that can get on your nerves until you understand it is he always reminds you of what you used to be. So in Ephesians 2, in 1 Corinthians 6, in Romans 1, in Titus 3, he's like, you are revilers and drunkards and addicts and sexual perverts, and you are lustful, and, you are, and you're just like, why you keep bringing this up, man? Thought I was free. Like, Paul's the guy you're not inviting to your barbecue tomorrow, right? Because he's stepping and going, remember what happened last year? just exercised our Christian freedom right into drunkenness when Bill over there, right? Like you just don't want Paul to be there. Just always bringing this stuff up. Like, let it go, Paul. Second pillar, I am fully accepted. I've been forgiven freely, fully and forever, Paul. Let it go, bro. But why won't he? Why won't he let it go? Here's why. Because if we're not willing to, own what we are, we will never be able to rejoice in all that he has done for us. So Jesus tells a 
beautiful story in Luke chapter 7 of a prostitute who comes in and falls at his feet. She's weeping all over his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And Simon the Pharisee thought to himself, if Jesus knew what kind of woman this was, he wouldn't let her touch his feet. And Jesus answered his thought, which is always freaky, and, and said, Simon, quick question. Um, two men owed, owed a debt to a lender. One owed a whole bunch and one owed just a little. Both were forgiven of their debt. Who was more grateful? And, and Simon the Pharisee, knowing he was busted, said, ah, I guess, I suppose, the one who owed more. And Jesus said, you've answered correctly. So since I came into your home, when I came into your home, you, you did not give me a kiss and you gave me no water for my feet. So if that didn't give me a kiss, kind of wigs you out as a 2016 uh, American. Think Brazilians or Italians in the motherlands, right? Uh, just affectionate, love you, give you a kiss. So glad you're here. Just like over the top hospitality and friendliness. That you did not honor me. You did not show me true hospitality. You did not show me that I was really wanted or desired here. And then you gave me nothing for my feet. But this woman, from the second she walked in the door, has not stopped kissing me and has not and has washed my feet with her tears. And so although her sins are many, they are forgiven fully. And so Jesus's point to that room and to this room was that when we own our sin as we should, we, we really kind of pick up velocity as we move towards this idea down here that I'm a bigger sinner than I thought. Now, our culture says, forget all about that. I mean, that might make you melancholy or sad, but you shouldn't be because you're awesome. But it's the doctrine of awesomeness that steals and robs us from joy in Christ. It's the idea that the God, God kind of picks the best athletes for his team. It's not how this works. When we're able to own our sin, to know I am a liar. I am pervert. I am broken. I am rebellious. I worship approval, not God. I think I know better than God, which is why I try to control things and don't trust him. I think I can dispense justice better than he can. See, all of your idols are accusations against God. Unfair, undue, unfounded accusations against the creator of the universe. You accuse him of not being good. You accuse him of not being for you. You accuse him of not blessing you. You accuse him all the while breathing his air in the body that he gave you. But to own our sin creates velocity that pushes us into our far idols. So now we're down in the depths. We're in our hearts. We're not up in the surface. We're under here, which then creates the velocity that by faith, after we've repented, now we're shooting up into this, I am fully acceptable. And so what happens then is now God is a bigger savior. Christ is a bigger savior than I ever imagined. But you'll never be able to rejoice in that if you don't think you're guilty of anything which is why Paul constantly brings this up in the New Testament. That's why he's telling to those in Crete, you were perverts and liars and revilers and fools and sinful men. That's why he says the same thing to the church at Ephesus. That's why he says the same thing, right? That's just what he does. But then there's always, in each of those texts I named, 1 Corinthians 6, um, Titus 3, Ephesians 2, there's a beautiful three-letter word after that long list of reviler, drunkenness, sexual perverts, blah, blah, blah. But, B-U-T, God, who is rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love.
Today we're reading Psalm 80, and in this psalm we see Asaph praying for the restoration and illumination of God's people by the shining of God's face, and he gives uh, two very clear pictures of the nation. Uh, First of all, he sees it as a flock. Israel was like a flock of sheep led by God. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. But they were wayward sheep who would not follow the shepherd. So instead of enjoying green pastures and still waters, they were enduring tears and the reproach of their enemies. And then the nation is also seen as a vine. This picture parallels Isaiah chapter 5 and our Lord's parables over in the New Testament in the book of Matthew chapter 21. Israel was a fruitful vineyard until she turned from the Lord and began to worship the gods of the nations. Now God used those very nations to discipline His people and destroy the vineyard. The prayer in verses 17 and 18 was partially answered when some of the people returned to the land after the captivity, but it is fully realized in Jesus Christ. God's people today are sheep in the flock. Do not take your blessings for granted. He is seeking faithfulness and fruitfulness. Psalm chapter 80, verses 1 through 19, for the choir director, a psalm of Asaph, to be sung to the tune, Lilies of the Covenant. Please listen, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Israel like a flock. O God, enthroned above the cherubim, display your radiant glory to Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Show us your mighty power. Come to rescue us. Turn us again to yourself, O God. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. O Lord God Almighty, how long will you be angry and reject our prayers? You have fed us with sorrow and made us drink tears by the bucketful. You have made us the scorn of neighboring nations. Our enemies treat us as a joke. Turn us again to Yourself, O God Almighty. Make Your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. You brought us from Egypt as though we were a tender vine. You drove away the pagan nations and transplanted us into Your land. You cleared the ground for us, and we took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with our shade. The mighty cedars were covered with our branches. We spread our branches west to the Mediterranean Sea, our limbs east to the Euphrates River. But now, why have you broken down our walls, so that all who pass may steal our fruit? The boar from the forest devours us, and the wild animals feed on us. Come back, we beg you, O God Almighty. Look down from heaven and see our plight. Watch over and care for this vine that you yourself have planted, this son you have raised for yourself, for we are chopped up and burned by our enemies. May they perish at the sight of your frown. Strengthen the man you love, the son of your choice. Then we will never forsake you again. Revive us so we can call on your name once more. Turn us again to yourself, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine down upon us. Only then will we be saved. Proverbs chapter 12, verses 27 and 28. Lazy people don't even cook the game they catch. 
but the diligent make use of everything they find. The way of the godly leads to life. Their path does not lead to death.